Well, today we are in the middle of this sandwich that I talked about last week. The Great Commission. We're in the meat of it today. And if you look in your bulletins, I put a little guide insert in there. It's not an outline of the service per se, but it does have all the scriptures that we'll be talking about. Um, some of these I'll be sort of flying past. You don't need to flip to, and I'll let you know if there are some that I think you should flip to. Uh, but mainly if you just listen as I read some of these. Our primary one is Matthew chapter 28, right where we left off last week. Last week we talked about the Great Commission in that it's a hard pill for us to swallow because typically we just think about the Great Commission itself. Go and make disciples. And we miss the context. So we're taking in the context in these three weeks. This is the second of the three weeks. Last week we talked about Jesus' authority. His authority means that we must, if we're going to be his followers, seek to obey this commission. And it also means that we can In his authority, he has commissioned us to do this. So it's not on our own authority that we do it. Today, we're getting into the real meat of this thing. Today, we're going to talk about what in the world is a disciple to begin with. Because he's talking to disciples in this passage. So don't go and try to make disciples unless first you are a disciple. You can't make disciples unless you are a disciple. And you can't be a disciple if we don't know what a disciple is. So today, we're going to figure out what in the world is a disciple anyway. And I I have benefited greatly from this study. I'm actually really excited about this sermon today. And uh, we'll see if you guys are by the end or not. But it doesn't matter because I've gotten a lot out of it. So at least it won't be a total loss regardless. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, based on this, because of this, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples. I tried to dig down into this word disciple and how it was understood back then to figure out exactly what is a disciple. Is a disciple someone who faithfully goes to church? Is a disciple someone who reads his Bible? Is that discipleship? Is a disciple someone who, does it mean that you have to meet with someone in a discipleship relationship all the time? What does it mean? Is what I'm trying to get at. And I dug down and I figured out that the literal translation of the word disciple, like I told the youth this morning, if you were just to flop this word disciple out of the Greek into the English, it would be the word learner. Learner. Or pupil. Or student. It's classroom language. One who studies Under someone else. One who learns a pupil to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. In this sense, it's like enrolling in Jesus Academy. Or Jesus University. And you are a studious pupil of Jesus now. But there's another dimension too. Because not everyone who studies something necessarily is a disciple. You can have a lot of information but never act on it. The understanding that I think the disciples would have had back then would have been someone who applies their mind diligently to learning from someone and who then adjusts his life accordingly. So it's not just learning, it's also being an adherent. It's not just learning, it's also being a follower, being obedient to what you're learning. There's a verse, you don't have to flip there, Luke 6.40 says, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, 
A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. The discipleship process, if you can picture a vertical line here, this is Jesus' life. Discipleship process is studying his teaching in his life until your life starts to adjust and starts to look like Jesus' life. So there's growth that must be happening to be a disciple. There's change. As you learn more, you adjust your life more and more and more and more and more until you look more and more like Jesus. The process will never be complete until he returns and perfects us in the end. So I wrote a definition of what I think discipleship means biblically. And it's on your insert there. When we say disciple of Jesus, we mean a person who actively learns from Jesus and adjusts his or her life appropriately over time, becoming more like Jesus. This is a disciple. This is who we're trying to be and what we're trying to make as Christians. People who actively learn from Jesus and adjust our lives appropriately over time, becoming more like Jesus. This is what we're shooting for. is studying his life and his teaching and living accordingly. So, with this sermon, what I really want to do is look at some other passages and try to paint a crystal clear picture of what this would look like. What does a, a disciple look like? What are we shooting for? It's always easier if you see a picture. And I don't actually have a Polaroid picture, but we're going to try to paint one with words of what a disciple looks like. Because like I said, we have to be one before we can make one. Don't try to go obey the Great Commission and make disciples until you're a disciple. Okay? So flip with me to the book of Luke, chapter 9. I have a few passages where Jesus elaborated on what this discipleship thing practically looks like. And the first one is in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. This is Jesus speaking. And then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, in other words, follow me. He's talking about discipleship here. If anyone wants to be my disciple, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. Do you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? If anyone here wants to be a follower of Jesus Christ, they must deny themselves. That's step one in this passage. They must deny themselves. That word, if you were to flip it from Greek into English, it means almost literally disown. You must disown yourself. Give up the rights to yourself. And already, right off the bat, we see how radical this discipleship thing is. Disown yourself. Deny yourself. It's not self-improvement. It's self-denial. If anyone wishes to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his his cross, and follow me. Where the world says, you, 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 improve you, Jesus says, let go of you and follow me. Practically, this might mean that if your desire is to sleep five more minutes rather than spend time in prayer in the Word, that desire means to be denied. Your desire to fire back an angry comment at your spouse 
because you haven't had a shower or breakfast yet and you're cranky and angry, must be denied to follow Jesus. Your desire to get to work 30 seconds faster must be denied in order to put others first and obey the laws of the land. It's always funny when I say something about driving and I see wives look over to their husband like, mm-hmm, <laughs> stick them, Pastor. Sometimes it might mean denying yourself that double cheeseburger at Wendy's. I hope it's not for me because I really like that. Sometimes it means keeping your mouth shut when others talk bad about you instead of retaliating. You just have to be like, oh, that hurts me, but let go of me. You have to let go. Sometimes it means accepting a low place rather than a place of prominence. If you're in church and you want to be in leadership, sometimes you have to start with the low place and, and just let go of that. Sometimes it means letting go of luxuries that you really want. It might mean losing sleep. It might mean being alone. Being broke, without transportation, empty-handed. There's no telling. It could mean a billion different things. But ultimately, being a disciple of Jesus Christ, step one is letting go of yourself. Disowning yourself. Because like I said a few weeks back, He wants to be your Savior. He also wants to be your Lord. Your authority. I was thinking about this. And I was trying to boil it down to a simple, most understandable component. And I think it means that being a follower of Jesus Christ requires your everything. It requires all of you. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ requires all of me and all of us to the point that we just don't have anything left for me. So I just have to let go. And the closest comparison I can think of is motherhood. Picture a new mother. Talk to Meredith about this a little bit to get a clear picture of what I was talking about, because I'm not a new mother. If you're a woman, before you have kids, you have quite a bit of time for yourself. You get up in the morning when you choose to get up to have enough time to get yourself pretty, to go to work. You try on several different outfits, maybe, because you have time for that and you want to look good. You go to work. Maybe you're still a little sleepy, so you stop Starbucks for a cup of coffee. Pursue your goals and your dreams that correspond with the giftings God has given you. Not in a selfish way. But God's gifted you to do these things that are in education and you do these things. You come home, you spend time with your husband. Maybe you watch a little TV. Eat a leisurely meal. Then the babies are born. At that point, your alarm clock is a crying baby. And you don't get to set it. The crying baby decides when to set it. So you wake up every day to crisis immediately. There's a crying baby in the other room and they need something immediately. So you don't get the luxury of rolling around and hitting snooze. You have to get up. And from that moment forward, from the moment your feet hit the ground, your whole day is poured out for this child or these children. You no longer have time to experiment with different outfits to see what's going to look the best. You just have to get dressed and hurry up. You don't even have time for a shower. You're lucky you have time to brush your teeth. Because these kids, they have their demands. The kids are demanding. And it requires all of you. The meals aren't so leisurely anymore. Because you also you have to make sure they're fed. It's a life poured out. Why would anyone do this? Why would anyone voluntarily give up everything? I mean, mothers have to give up everything. They have to often give up their career that they worked on just... 
disowning themselves, letting it go. Why would anyone sign up for this? And I know there's lots of sacrifice for fathers too. I'm a father. So I'm not saying that. Why would anyone do this? She's way over there. You can't really see her, but that beautiful little girl over there, my little daughter Lillian, is a perfect example of why someone would do this. Because something comes along that is so remarkably amazing and beautiful and powerful that is greater than yourself. It hurts to sacrifice these things. But you're sacrificing it for something or someone that's so awesome. That is sort of like what discipleship is. It's painful to deny yourself and to disown yourself. But you're not just doing it out of sheer discipline because this is what I have to do. You're doing it because you see Jesus. And he's so wonderful and majestic and He knows what's best for you. And he loves you so much that he died a gruesome, terrible death to set you free from your sins and from your own death so that you could live. And you see this more and more clearly. And as you do, you let go of yourself more and more to obey him, to live his way. Because living in his way, there's freedom. In a sense, Christian discipleship is carrying the burden every day of killing yourself. Every day you wake up with the burden of killing yourself. Now this is radical. This is hard. A hard teaching. It's so much more radical than often what we encounter at church when you say, oh, I'm a Christian. But what does he say? If anyone would come after me, he must deny or disown himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What does that mean? Take up his cross and follow me. Do we actually really have to like hoist a fake cross and and drag it around? Obviously not. What it means is each morning, if you want to follow Jesus, if you're really serious about this, you roll out of bed into an electric chair. And all day long you carry that with you. And every time the desires come up in your heart that conflict with the teaching and life of Jesus... You have to kill that desire. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, this is what it takes. To borrow from from, uh, my unofficial long-distance mentor who doesn't know that I read of his book so much, John Piper. He wrote, when Jesus took up his cross and struggled up the road to his crucifixion. Picture that in your mind. When he took up that cross on his ravaged back. And struggled up that dusty road to where they were going to kill him. He wasn't just taking our place. He was setting an example for us. He was showing us the example. This is what it means to take up your cross daily and follow him. These things have to happen to follow him. A man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a a pastor who was eventually killed by Nazis... He wrote in a book that he titled The Cost of Discipleship. The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. And as we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. 
And thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Being a disciple of Jesus is daily disciplined death. That's what discipleship is. It's not morality. That comes. That comes with it. Being a disciple of Jesus is daily disciplined death to yourself. When the temptation to lie or to retaliate or to cheat or to be greedy for material gain or to destroy someone with your words who says something bad about you or to impose your will upon others or to lust or to get jealous, to get revenge or to buy too much or to eat too much. Or to forsake reading your Bible and prayer because you're tired. When these desires come up in your mind, you have to picture yourself slumped over on the floor like a dead man in response to those desires. You're not living for yourself anymore. If you're really going to be a true disciple of Christ, you're not living for yourself anymore. You're dead to yourself. You're following Jesus. You're alive to Him. Anytime your desires conflict with Jesus' teaching and lifestyle, they must die. And as you grow in this discipleship thing, you you become more and more and more dead to the old things that you used to worship. And you become more and more and more alive to God through Jesus. This is what it looks like. This is what a true disciple of Jesus looks like. It's like one of those arcade games. I don't know if anybody in here plays or has ever played arcade games very much. I haven't. But if I did, like at the movie theater they would have some... I always picked the same games. It was the ones that had the pistols. And they were always like mutants or something on the screen that you would have to shoot. And they would pop out from behind barrels and tanks of gasoline and stuff. I don't really remember the storyline of these games, but that's what it's like. You wake up and you're in your day and you've got your your gun. Whenever these desires and stuff pop up, you can't embrace them and sort of pet them and be like, Oh, I know I shouldn't be this way. I know I shouldn't be so prideful. I know I shouldn't use my words like this, but it's just, you can't be like that. You have to kill that thing. It's death. It's serious. Paul says in Romans, no, I think it's in Galatians. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in him. It's no longer I who live anymore. I've disowned that. I've let go. He wrote in Romans, I wrote it down here, Do you not know that as many of you who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? A big part of what baptism baptism is, is symbolizing the death. Christ's death, that's true, but also our death. Paul says, don't you know, didn't you realize when you were being baptized that you weren't just getting wet? It wasn't just an opportunity for your family to come take pictures. You're being baptized into his death. We have to be reminded of this over and over again. A Christian disciple willingly hands over his life for Jesus. If he wants me to go to India as a missionary, and that's clear to me, I go. If he wants me to sell my possession, and that's clear to me, to be obedient to him, I must. I sell my possession. If he wants me to talk about him to people that I meet, even if I'm uncomfortable with it, I talk about him to people I meet. If he wants me to spend time with the sinners and the poor just like he did, I'll go spend time with the sinners and the poor just like he did. If he wants me to put my family before my career, even if that is scary, 
and it seems dangerous, that's what I do. I'm not saying me, I do this. This is an example of what a disciple looks like. If he wants me to bite my tongue, I bite my tongue. If he wants me to repent, to confess my sin to someone I've sinned against, as humiliating as that may be, that's what you must do. If he wants me to serve in a way that will never get noticed by others, that's what I do. I'm living for Jesus now. 1 Peter 2.21, you don't have to flip there, says this. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Peter's writing to slaves here. The context of that verse, he's writing to slaves and he's saying, even if your masters are not treating you right, even though slavery is unjust and terrible, you're a Christian. You're not living for you anymore. And Christ set an example for you to follow in his steps. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Being a disciple is hard. It's daily disciplined death. And it often includes suffering. This is the hard truth. It's just truth. I have to tell you this. And often if you turn on the TV, the gospel you'll hear on there may look drastically different from this. I'm not saying every time, but often it looks drastically different from this. Often, being a disciple of Christ includes suffering. Because we're following in his steps, remember? How did he live when he was on the earth? Our lives should grow to look more and more like his. You remember when it snowed pretty, pretty thoroughly? I think it was the last decent snow we had in the winter. I have a terrible memory for this kind of thing, but I know it was this winter because I remember how old Elias was. I don't think Lillian was born yet. And the only good snow we could find because of all of our trees that cover our house over there at the Parsons was here in front of the church. And we really wanted Elias to get the plan. So we put on his little monster boot and galoshes and got them all bundled up so he couldn't move his arms. And we sort of plopped him out in the snow out there. And I sort of ran around and kicked the soccer ball with him. Meredith was quite pregnant at this point, if I remember right, so she wasn't able to really get out there. Because I didn't want her to fall or anything. So Elias and I were out in the snow kicking the soccer ball around. And it got kicked over to the side. I went to get it. And I turned around. And I had left some pretty big footprints in the snow. And Elias was over there trying to step his feet into my footprints. And his legs are a lot shorter than mine. He looks like his head's pretty big. But his body's fairly small. It's hard for him to have the same pace or the same space between his steps as mine. But that's what he was doing. And that's what this verse is talking about. Christ left a path in the word with his life and his teaching. And we were to follow in his steps. If we're going to be his disciples, our lives cannot look very much different than his. And over time, we should get better at it and closer to his steps. This is discipleship. So how did Jesus live when he was in the world? He had no possessions. He had no place to lay his head. He was hated by the religious people. He was sought out by the sinners who knew they needed help. He lived a life of service to these slow-witted disciples who rarely understood what he was talking about. He had no notoriety. He had no physical appearance that anyone would esteem him. There were long days of hard work for the gospel. He lived in a humility, like, a humility like the world had never seen before. It was foot washing, service, humility. 
And ultimately, he was betrayed by someone closest to him, tortured, killed by the very people he came to save. That's his footsteps. That's how he lived when he was here. When he was here on earth, he lived a life of sacrificial, dying service. Now, later, when he returns, it will be in victory. But when he was here, the pattern he set was a life of sacrificial, dying service. So therefore, how must his disciples live? If we're to follow in his steps, if we're to learn from his teachings, if we're to learn from his life, to study it, and adjust our life accordingly, how are we to live if we want to be disciples? We must live lives of sacrificial, dying service. Man, 12 o'clock comes way too fast. Now, when he comes again, he will reign victorious. And when he comes again, we will be transformed. And we will reign with him. And the suffering will be gone. And the pain of killing ourselves every day will be gone. But until that day comes, we can't skip ahead. We live like we've already been victorious. We walk into church like we've already conquered our sins. And it's just a lie. Because in this earth, our lives are going to look and follow the path of His. And then later, we'll live like He lives then too. In victory. We're just not home yet. Another passage I want to read, and I have to speed up, maybe toss a couple of things overboard here to not lose you from going too long. Luke chapter 6. If you flip there, I'd like for you to see this. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 20. That's Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 20. And what I'm about to read is from what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he's mainly talking to his disciples. He's basically painting a picture for them of what life's going to be like as his disciples. Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 20. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you when you are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you from and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. Did you catch the the division there? Blessed are you who are poor here, now, in this world, because yours is going to be the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who hunger now because you're going to be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now because you are going to be laughing. When men hate you and exclude you and insult you because it's for Jesus' name. Blessed are you. Who in here feels blessed when they're poor and hungry and hated and excluded? Nobody. It sounds terrible, doesn't it? But what does he say in verse 23? He says, rejoice. Leap for joy. Why? Because great is going to be your reward in heaven. We're just not home yet. 
We can't get too comfortable here. We're not home. For disciples of Jesus, we're living for the future. You might be thinking, just like with the motherhood illustration, why would anyone sign up for this? Because this is what the life life is like for disciples of Jesus on this side of the earth. But in eternity, which is going to be infinitely longer than our experience here on earth, it's going to be reigning in the kingdom of God. It's going to be satisfaction. It's going to be laughing. And it's not a miserable life here. Jesus tells them to rejoice, to leap for joy. Being a disciple is a life full of rejoicing and, and leaping for joy. Doesn't that just, just make your mind explode? How can it be these things? Self-denial, dying to self, daily discipline, death. Yet still be a life of rejoicing and leaping for joy. Imagine you're a, a businessman and you've been away for weeks on a business trip. And your family's at home and you miss them so much. And you miss your wife's warmth. You miss talking to her. You miss your children and their, their silliness and their sweetness. And you're away in these sterile hotel rooms by yourself, alone. In a sense, you're suffering discomfort because you are not home. But in another sense, you have a foundational joy and a rejoicing. Because you've got this family at home. And you're going home one day soon. And you can make it. That's what discipleship is like. When Jesus was trying to teach his disciples how to live this life, there are two passages. Don't flip there. We just don't have time. John 8, 31 and 32, he says, If you hold to my teaching, then you're really my disciples. If you hold it, if you hold to it, if you remain it, if you cling to my teaching, then you're really my disciples. And then you can live this life. He says in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. A man that remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. These branches are picked up and thrown in the fire and burned. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is like being a tree branch. You have to be plugged into the trunk of Jesus and his word. It's the only way. This is what we have to be. There's so much more I want to say this Sunday that I cannot. But this is what we have to be. Disciples. And this is what we need to be making. So the question for us, are we this this type of person? Do we even want this package? And if the answer is yes, next week we'll answer the question, what can we do to make more disciples? Now here's what I want us to do in closing. I want everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. I'm going to try one more time to paint a portrait with words of what our church would look like if it were full of true disciples of Jesus Christ. Everyone close their eyes and bow their heads and just hear hear the words. Jesus said, go and make disciples. He did not say go and make good people. He did not say go make converts. 
did not say go make religious people. He said go make disciples of Jesus Christ. As our church gets more full of disciples who take this more seriously, we will be a body of people who look increasingly different from religious pseudo-Christians. We will be a body of people who look increasingly appealing to sinners in need of a Savior, just like Jesus was. We will be a body of people who give their time and their energy and their possessions and their money to serve and encourage the needy, poor, and weak. We will be a body of people who are united by a bond of camaraderie and self-sacrificing love that is so strong that no dispute, no distress could ever fracture our relationships with each other within this church. We would be a body of people marked by humility and meekness. We would be a body of individuals who are hungry and thirsty for God's word. Who just have to figure out a way to get plugged into it as their lifeline. A body of people desperate for more time to pray, more time to spend time with Jesus. A people who can let go of the American dream for themselves because they know there are 16,000 people groups out there who've never heard about Jesus. A people passionate for these people. And we'll be set free. We'll be a church of people who are set free. Jesus says if you're really his disciple, by the truth of God's word, you will be set free. Be free from slavery to sin and selfishness. We'll be free from anxiety about our provision. We'll be free from fearing others so that we are free to love others. We'll be free to tell other people about Jesus. And our church will grow. People want church growth. This is the program. Us as individuals getting serious about discipleship to Jesus Christ. The world will take notice. And we will rejoice and we will be joyful. And we will go out and make disciples who will follow the same path of Jesus. Father, before we sing our last song, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would make these words clear in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, make us into disciples. I know I need your help so badly for this. Make us into disciples, Father. That's my prayer. And I pray with confidence in Jesus' name. Amen.